All right, mofos, let's go. New intro music, our old new intro music. It is fight night, round six, I want to say. Could be five. This actually kind of sucks because there's so much other shit going on right now that would be great to discuss on the podcast. Canada is going to have another election. There's a debate tonight which promises to disappoint. New Drake album, which mostly disappoints. Matrix 4, which I can't help but predict is going to also be a disappointment. Yeah, it's got to be. But we read a whole goddamn book for this episode, so I want to cut the chit-chat short and get straight into it. This has been a very highly anticipated episode, highly requested from all you Pretrones. So we read it. We're doing it. Just going into it. The book is Zizek versus Deleuze, The Organ Without Bodies, an all-out assault. Uh, we should say Deleuze and Guattari, actually, um, not or neither, for that matter, as the case might turn out to be. But this is a superb piece of clickbait, and. Zizek understood the internet before the internet came out. He's one of the only boomers that does. But it's not about substance. <laughs> it's just about style. You got to get Deleuze in the title, just like we're doing here. Uh, so let's just say it's not yeah. clear that he knows anything about Deleuze, but it's also not clear that he does not. Sorry, why can't we just call them D and G? I mean, I really resent the fact that Dolce and Gabbana have claimed that label, and I think it's time to retake it for the true Oof. D and G. Who was first? It's a real statement. Yeah. Uh, probably Dolce and Gavana, probably. Yeah, but fuck them. DNG, uh, the only real DNG. Let's look that up. Actually, uh, I'm curious. I'm, I'm gonna guess. I'll bet you Dolce and Gavana was like in the 20s. Yeah, they probably earlier. sold shit to the Nazis and then claimed they didn't afterwards. Yeah, or at least the Italian fascists. Oh, actually, I'm. We're all wrong. Uh, Dolce and Gavana was founded in 1985. Oh, oh so. shit. Oh. So they are the original DNG, and Dolce & Gabbana ripped them off. Fuck Back to the book that we all spent all this time reading. This is going to be probably a two-part episode, because we actually want to uh, delve into the the depths of metaphysical differences between not just Deleuze and Zizek, but Deleuze and Lacan, Deleuze and Hegel also, because they're, uh, I mean, Zizek's a fanboy of both, so he says that he's speaking on their behalf. Whether or not that's true... We shall find out. It's funny. I don't know how anybody... Can I just say, I don't know how anybody can accuse political theory of like of being like useless while at the same time like loving like Deleuzean metaphysics or like Lacanian metaphysics. Like that... I mean, I think you have to just say that these things are important and matter to you. You can't just be like, political theory is useless, but like, um, you know, this like thinking about, I don't know, these like this, these kinds of metaphysical obscurantisms matter. I don't think so. Victor, the reason is because you're still thinking too arborly. Okay, sure. you need to think rhizomatically. <laughs> when sure. you think arborly, you're trying to prioritize different disciplines, different ways of thinking, man. When you think rhizomatically, you realize that it's all fucking connected. There yeah. is no political theory. There is no Deleuze and Guattari. There's not even a Dolce and Gabbana. <laughs> it's all just part of the university of oh. fucking being. It seems like yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. have to establish a metaphysics first and then draw out the political implications of that, right? So, you know, one of the major targets, I guess, is Hart and Negri's book on empire, and they really spell out the sort of political implications of Deleuze and Guattari, right? So that's another target of but you don't like their their idea you know you don't just sort of start with political theory and sweep yeah, aside all I the metaphysical that. assumptions that go along with it 
because then all you're really doing is just liberal political theory where you're pretending you're not making any assumptions where you are, when you are, when you really are. And you got to spell out the metaphysics before you can draw out the political implications. I think, I mean, that's one way of approaching it. So metaphysics is only good insofar as you can get to good political theory from metaphysics. Oh, of course not. I mean, Deleuze (laughs) was a quietist on politics. Zizek writes it here. He's an elitist. He didn't talk explicitly about politics. But when you talk about multitudes, right, this idea that Hart and Negri run with in their politics, right? That the multitudes can resist the capturing of the flows of capitalism, right? The, like that's one way to draw it out. It's not yeah, the only way to do it, but you know. I, I actually think that he did say some very interesting things about politics, and I know Pills has an episode on this, so I won't uh, steal too much thunder from that, but a lot of his ruminations about control societies and the difference between sovereign societies and disciplinary societies. It was late in life, and so it's not that spelled out, but I think it's very interesting and pretty informative. Well, first shot across the bow here, um, which is going to be the first thing that infuriates Delizians. Zizek comes out and says, in basically direct quote, Anti-Oedipus is Deleuze's worst book. <laughs> Perhaps his worst book. I, I would agree. Uh, so I'm just going to come up with an anecdote about this and say, <laughs> in 2015, I was at the University of Birkbeck in London taking a a two-week thing on critical theory. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I drank a lot, smoked more cigarettes than any human being possibly should. But Zizek was giving a presentation, and he said one or two nasty things about Deleuze in what was supposed to be a presentation on Heidegger and Nazism, where he said, this is just so boring. This is what I'm going to talk about instead. And the most pretentious delusion I've ever countered, right down to the bray, stood up and was like, but comrade Zizek, it's clear that you know nothing about Deleuze, and it seems to me like your way of actually describing things, rather than respecting the true differences that exist in our political environment, blah, 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 blah. And then a Lacanian Zizekian stood up, pointed his finger at this Deleuzean, and just screamed, you know nothing about Lacan, you're a fraud, and everybody here knows it. And the class split in two and started yelling at each other. And I parted the class, like Moses at the Red Sea, and walk directly to the bar where a true salvation lay. <laughs> exactly. And that's actually good. But it, it was it was the most that's stupid how you deal with things. Heard. Nothing came from it. And I kind of I sympathize with what Victor said at this point. I'm like, this is such a trivial idle thing to get this worked up about that it borders on self care. That's interesting. Deleuze famously hated engaging in philosophical discussions. He would run away. That's what so Zizek would say, Deleuze would just get up and leave. He wouldn't engage in this discussion is a good segue, dialectic. This into what I wanted to ask as someone who uh, knows very little Deleuze, but has spent a lot of time reading Lacan uh, and Zizek. More, Lacan, more like Lacanian stuff. But um, I know that there's this big divergence and, I guess, rivalry between Deleuzeans and Lacanians. At least that's what I hear. Um, so, I, and, and as someone who's very sympathetic to Lacan, like it, it makes me suspicious of Deleuze. And then when I hear like caricatures of what Deleuze's views, I'm, I'm going to assume they're caricatures just to be charitable that, that we read for in the, in the book here, this Zizek book of just kind of like being fetishizing some kind of like creative vitalistic perspective of metaphysics. I mean, it sounds bad. Like it makes me, so what is the good Deleuzean view, if that's even possible, or like at least the main kind of like point of contention between Lacanian psychoanalysis and Deleuzean metaphysics. Lacan and Deleuze had an interesting relationship themselves. They only met twice, according to an interview with Deleuze. Um, And 
the book Anti-Oedipus on its face seems to be opposed to Lacan. But Deleuze says in this interview, I think that Lacan needed us because he was too trapped in a, a signifying complex, his own signifying complex that he had designed. He became trapped in it. So after he had published Anti-Oedipus, Lacan invited him over and he tells this story of how he was like made to wait in the waiting room among all these disciples or people that were excited to see Lacan at the time because he was the big shit. And Lacan invited him in and gave him a list of all of his disciples and proceeded to call each of them idiots, except for one, uh, Jacques-Alain Miller, which is Zizek's teacher. But Lacan, allegedly, said to Deleuze, uh, I need someone like you. And then Deleuze repeats that he needed someone like us. So Deleuze has this great respect for people who create systems and a very low degree of respect for people that are disciples. So he said the way that we should read Antiedipus is against the dogmatism of the Lacanian psychoanalysts and his little school that were trying to fill in all the blanks for him. And rather... Uh, not he wouldn't criticize Lacan so much, and Lacan didn't seem very interested in criticizing Deleuze on those. I want to interject either. in this because uh, this is going to be the most important thing I'll say uh, tonight. Okay, I like Deleuze a lot. In the end of my last published book, I argue for taking a Deleuzean approach to law, but I really dislike Deleuzeans with an intensity that's rare for me. Reason being, they take one of the most exciting, interesting, contrarian authors who I probably love to get a beer with. And they all worship the guy like he's the biggest fucking shit in the entire world and get into the most pedantic, stupid and idle debates about what exactly he said in this text. So I'm not going to be able to take this as seriously as I probably should, precisely because I don't want to give any mana to all these delusions who think that it's so important to get what the master says correct. Because I think that Deleuze would probably say that you shouldn't give a fuck about what Deleuze says. You should read his books in a plateau-like fashion and try to draw interesting things from them that will allow you to create novel concepts. So I'm just going to... And I don't know, maybe, maybe I haven't hung around with enough Lacanians, but at least the people that I meet who are into Lacan, I mean, I echo that at least on, from on, on online circles that I kind of have become more aware of as a result of doing this podcast. It does seem to me like the ones who are less dogmatic are the Lacanians that I come into contact with. Yeah. Ironically enough. I mean, maybe, maybe like I'm sure there's 100%. a lot of dogmatic Lacanians um, out there. Oh, there are. There are, for sure there you are. You haven't been looking hard enough. I mean, I'm just saying from my sort of like cursory like engagements with people who, are, who like Lacan, who are influenced by him, I feel like. But then I, I feel like I, I come across Deleuzeans and there's like this kind of um, intensity to their to their fixation on him. Uh so yeah, I mean that, that's anecdotal, obviously, but 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 I've noticed that too. I just want to invert Pills' hierarchy of uh, reference there by saying it's not that they're not looking hard enough for them; it's that they're not hard in looking for him. That's the way that you have to approach Lacan. Correct. Jesus. Oh yeah, the phallic signifier that extends far enough to find the dogmatic exactly. Lacanians. <laughs> and I mean, I was in a I was in a Lacanian reading group, and that's where you that's where I found the dogmatic. Lacanians. Yeah, I bet you probably would find them there, but. I, I want to and say. Oh, oh, go ahead, Eric. Yeah. I just want to flag the sort of erasure of Guattari's influence that goes through all this too, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah, who was trained yeah, like, by Lacan? Like Guattari was the Lacanian, right? And he read Deleuze's work 
like the the I guess he read I don't know he read either the logic of sense or difference and repetition or both, and he sent Deleuze one of his papers. I'm not sure. So it sent Deleuze some work. This is around the time that Guattari wrote uh, Machine and Structure, I believe, and it was uh, kind of it was excluded from publication by the Lacanian Institute. They had they had this sort of powerful organization going at the time and you know, Deleuze liked them and he and they they came they met each other and they started collaborating. The rest is history. But Guattari gets erased in all this. Like <laughs> Zizek just asks kind of the simple question, was it Guattari's fault that Deleuze turned away from his good stuff and started <laughs> yeah. writing this shit? <laughs> like yeah. Anti Oedipus, Thousand Plateaus, the Kafka book and all their collaborative work. That's like Zizek's sort of just hanging question is is it all Guattari's fault and, and I mean in a way it, it is it but like not not in a bad way I guess so another thing that Deleuze says about this is that he was writing logic of sense Zizek says logic of sense is his best book and that's also the one that Guattari read before sending him a paper on desiring machines I think it was but Deleuze reflects on this encounter saying I needed Guattari because otherwise I was just going to be a metaphysician philosopher. The kind that Zizek says, this is when Deleuze is good. Then he was corrupted by this idiot psychoanalyst, anti Yeah, this activist, but, this but, non-intellectual. <laughs> yeah, for, for Deleuze, he said that was what saved him. And then, of course, all right after that, you see him writing on cinema and art and breaking out of... Uh, Pure I, I mean, the, the new stuff that's coming out, the new stuff that's still being translated from Guattari, like his private notebooks at, that he was writing during their collaboration and his solo work, these sorts of recent translations are revealing this depth of thinking that he goes through and this obvious profound influence he had on Deleuze's thinking. Like Deleuze was in some ways an interpreter of Guattari's thought because Guattari wasn't the best at articulating himself, but he had really good ideas. And and Zizek just sweeps all that away. He's like, fuck this guy, bad influence. I'm pretty sure Zizek is quoted as saying Guattari should have been shot. <laughs> Very <No. laughs> good Marxist statement. 